Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and today we got a great interview for you. Uh, I'm really excited about this one. I've been looking forward to it for weeks now um, because we're going to cover a topic that we have not covered before on the podcast. We're going to be talking about influencer marketing, and I'm talking with Shane Barker. Shane is a digital marketing consultant who specializes in influencer marketing and product launches, sales funnels, getting targeted traffic and website conversions. Uh, and he's consulted with Fortune 500 companies with uh, influencers who sell digital products and a, a whole number of A-list celebrities. He's the founder of Shane Barker Consulting and the co-founder and CEO of Content Solutions. He's got over 15 years of experience in the field of SEO and digital marketing. And uh, he's just, I know he's going to bring a ton of value today. We're going to talk about some really interesting things. So Shane Barker, welcome to the Unstoppable CEO. Hey, Steve, thank you so much. And once again, as I told you earlier, I was, uh, you guys have me on the podcast. You guys sent me out that little package you guys sent me with the, the mug and everything. I just wanted to tell you thank you once again. I think it shows the reason why you guys' podcast is ahead of everybody else's because you guys, it's a, the little things like that, the little attention to detail. So I wanted to thank you again on, uh, during the recording. Oh, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, and you're welcome. And uh, we love sending those things out. It makes everybody who gets one, um, it makes them smile. And that's, you know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. So uh, tell us a little bit before we kind of dive into the meat of things. Tell us a little bit about you beyond the bio and, and uh, you know, give us kind of the, the, the journey you've been on. How'd you get to this stage of your career? Yeah, so it's so funny. So it's like, um, even though we said 15 years of digital experience, I, I only say 15 years is because I, I want people to think that I'm younger than I am. It's actually, I was just figuring out the numbers. I'm not kidding you. It's, it's like 20, almost 25. So we won't go into how old I am, um, but I, I've been doing this a long time. We've been doing the, I've been in the digital space for a long time. Uh, and the, my journey really started off, um, I, my first life, I would say, I actually was in the restaurant industry. So I was heavy into customer service and I actually would fly around. Eventually, I started as a, a busboy, went to a server, went to a bartender, and then actually um, would, they'd fly me around to open restaurants. And so I would put on their POS systems, like the squirrel machines for, you know, so the, the restaurant could talk to the parent company and sales could be put in there. So I started off in the service industry and this was many, many moons ago. Um, and that kind of catapulted me to going in and I was traveling all around the country opening these restaurants. And I really was intrigued by once again, the process and putting that all in place. And I was always really intrigued by the fact that I wanted to start my own business. And even as a young kid, I had done these little, you know, lemonade stands. And I remember going to Oregon one time, I'm here in California, going to Oregon one time and my mom, somehow I, I, I found out that you can like take a can and you can go give it to somebody and they'll give you like money, like give you some change. And I lost my marbles. I was like, there's money everywhere. Like we were camping and my, I literally spent the whole camping trip, like picking out of cans, like a homeless person. And my mom's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm making money. Like I, and so I've always had this kind of fascination with money, um, which has kind of been really interesting. Um, but that really catapulted me to a point where um, I started opening my own businesses. And this is how I, my digital journey started. I had my own businesses and I, I didn't have a lot of money. And so I was kind of figuring out like, Hey, I enjoy marketing. I'm pretty good at sales. I got a pretty good mouthpiece on me, but like, how do I, like, how can I able to bootstrap this thing? Right. Cause I don't have tons of money. I need help with websites and logos. And you know, at that time SEO, but nobody knew it was called SEO. It was just, you know, putting a website up and seeing what happens when it comes to Google. Um, and so this whole journey has really been because I've had my own businesses. And so it's put me into a position of hey, you know, my own businesses to be successful and then that turned into, hey, maybe I can show other people how to, you know, drive leads and drive traffic and convert that traffic, um, which has turned me into influencer marketing, which is another 
piece of that tool set, right? Something else with PPC and you have SEO, you have influencer marketing. There's a lot of different things you put in there. And influencer marketing is just one of those tools that you can use to drive traffic um, and really go after really niche um, audiences because of influencers and that have influence over their following. Yeah. It, uh, first of all, I've already learned something. Just in that little introduction, I've learned that I need to reduce the number of years of experience that I list on things. So nobody <laughs> can know my age. That's so the thank key. you for that, because I think we're about in the same ballpark based on Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it sounds like you've been doing a, a, a ton of interesting things. I, it's funny, the the a story of, of going around looking for, for bottles, I had forgotten about that as a kid. That's um, one of the things I regret that, that are, you know, that my kids, you know, our generation uh, who is having, you know, kids now, they don't know that. You can, yeah. I used to go around all the time. That's how I bought, bought my candy, you know. Yeah, that was, I mean, for me, I was, it floored me that people were leaving money on the table. I mean, and I don't understand what that meant as a kid, as, you know, five years old camping, but it was really interesting to me. And then I, and the thing I used to do too, this is kind of funny. Remember, like, obviously the machines where you'd have like the papers and stuff, or like we go into 7-Eleven, like underneath, there was like this lip underneath between the counter and the ground and people would drop change and not grab it. Like, oh, it's a quarter, who cares? So for me, I would look under there and I'm like, you've got to be, so, you know, I'm embarrassing my mom. She's buying some milk and here I am under, like <laughs> hands under the counter and I'm like scouring for quarters. And there was another time I almost jumped out. This is a funny story. I almost jumped out of the car because we were going into San Francisco and they have the toll booth, toll booths and somebody had dropped their change out the window and it was dollars. And I lost myself. I, I almost jumped out of the <laughs> car and killed myself to grab these dollars. And my mom was like, what are you doing? I think after that point, she put it on child lock. Um, and I was like, well, there's dollars everywhere. She's like, I will give you a dollar. Please do not jump out of the car. But I'm like, yeah, but I can get that dollar. And she's like, you versus a car. And I didn't really get that. You know, obviously I haven't jumped out of too many cars in my days and just said, Hey, you can't do that. And finally my mom realized like, Hey, I'll give you a dollar. I'll give you $2. Like, I'll give you $10 not to jump out of the vehicle ever again and not even think that you should do that. So I was always, there was really that weird infatuation with it for sure. Oh, that's hilarious. So, um, I, you, you built, multiple businesses. And, um, you know, the thing I always like to start off with in these interviews is really getting a, a sense for what that journey has been like. And, and particularly when you've run up against challenging times again, you know, you've, you've hit those walls where it was just a little bit harder than you thought it would be, or maybe a whole lot harder than you thought it would be. And I always like to hear the, the ideas, the mindsets, the, just sort of ways of being that, that you kind of leaned on to push through that. And uh, it, we always get the most interesting things out of that. So no pressure or anything, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'd love to hear how you push through when, you know, you're building a business and things, things are getting tough. Well, and I, you know, it's funny because of my background, I, I do have a lot of experience with building businesses and, and some of them been successful and some of them failed. Right. And, and I learned different things from each each one of those businesses. But for me, my mindset has always been very positive in the sense that, and I'll tell you some of the stories and businesses I've built, but for me, it's always mindset, right? It's always how you start your day and how you think about your day. And I, I think the power of the mind, a lot of people um, don't understand the power of the mind. Like I, I believe in like, hey, if you have a disease or something happens, that if you believe you can conquer it, you can. Once you give in, you're done. Right. And so I think the same thing with just life. I look at life in a, in a different, a different scope. I look at it as like, Hey, like I'm very fortunate in the things that I've been able to do. Some of my businesses failed, but some of my failed businesses, I learned more than my businesses that were successful. 
right? And so there's value in everything. You have to look at that. And so I'm, once again, I look at my life and go, you know what, I've been very fortunate, but I have, I've got some great stories for you business-wise. I mean, I've done so many things business-wise. I used to, I told you, open you know, restaurants and do that. I actually opened a bar. So I used to own a bar in Chico, California, which is like where Sierra Nevada is from. In fact, that's where my son's going to college now. Um, but so that, you know, I used to own a bar for about two years, which was a a pretty interesting process that I went through living in Chico, California, which is a pretty heavy party town. That was an awesome experience. I mean, I, I had a business that I, that I brought from zero to uh, $25 million in two years. I had 130 employees. I had, uh, you know, uh, tons of, I mean, three, four different offices. Um, I mean, so I've done a lot of really interesting stuff and that, that business is something when you talk about perseverance, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you guys, nobody's ever heard this and I'm, I'm not just saying that nobody's ever knows my story behind my business that I built up to 25 million. Um, the end of that story is I end up getting sued by the attorney general for $65 million. And I fought the attorney general for two years and it cost me about $2 million to do. And I won. Um, and that's a whole nether story. Like that could be a podcast. Like we probably have to spend like a whole day together. That story behind that and what happened behind that, but building that business up, um, and just how we did that, because I mean, like I said, we're 130 employees in two years is quite a feat. The growth was extremely fast. We had our own video team and I was in charge of sales and marketing. I had two other partners. Um, and so it was a really interesting business model. It was in the real estate space. And what we did was we helped people that were put in bad loans. And this was back in 2008 when there was a lot of people that were put in bad loans because not to go heavy into this, but you know, the brokers, there was a lot of brokers, they, the, the lenders would actually incentivize you to put people in worse loans. And you would be paid out more money if you put in somebody in a shorter loan where they had a higher interest rate than if you were to give them something fair. So once again, not to go heavy into detail in that, but the idea of it was is that we felt that there was people that don't speak English and there's people that were older that were taken advantage of and put into a bad loan and they were incentivized to do this because they make more money if they put you in a bad loan. So we went after those people and, and there was a huge PR play behind that. And there was a huge thing. There was a lot of stuff that, a lot of politics behind that, right? Because I've been going after big banks and and, you know, you, you have to, now I realize this, you have to be really, really prepared. If you're going to go and sue big banks, you have to be ready from all angles. And I, I wasn't as ready as I should have been. I didn't have a lobbyist. I didn't have a, you know, we didn't have all that in place. And we kind of learned the hard way once we got sued by the attorney general and we went, we obviously won that case. But there's a lot of moving pieces to that whole story. But we talk about perseverance. I mean, I, I went from being a local not say celebrity, but people knew who I was, my face, I was on TV, I was on the billboards, all this fun stuff, to six months, probably about a year and a half later, um, them saying, hey, you got to watch out for this guy, he's got a fraudulent business, he's taking advantage of people, which was untrue, which was not the deal that was happening, but there was a, a big PR and political play behind that. So, um, I mean, you talk about businesses, you talk about being unstoppable, um, there is nothing, there is really nothing that would ever prepare anybody for what I, what I went through in my business, what my company went through. Um, but because of that, it's made me a stronger person, made me a stronger individual. Um, and I, you know, still live in the same city and I was able to clear my name of everything. And, you know, it takes a while, especially when there's a PR play and you're going up against um, big companies that have millions and millions of dollars that have the best attorneys in the nation um, that they're, they're trained to go for blood. And, you know, I'm uh, here, I am starting a business and, or, you know, had a successful business and just looking at, you know, how we can help people that we're taking advantage of. So once again, I didn't, you know, we don't have to go heavy into that story, but the idea of that is what I learned through that whole process is, I mean, I, it's just like, it's, it's just one of those things. Like I, would I ever take that back? Um, I, I, it sucked kind of the whole process, but I would not take that back in the sense of what I learned um, as an individual, as a person, 
Um, and what I learned from a PR perspective, and I learned kind of through, you know, through running through flames on, hey, when something hits the fan, like, how do you deal with it, right? And how do you, when you're going up against a big player that's got millions of dollars and they've got connections and networks and all this kind of stuff, me as a small player, um, I mean, even though the business was worth about 25 million at that time, like, how do I, how do you protect yourself better if you're going to go up against the big dogs, right? And so there was a huge learning curve there and heard huge learning lesson. Um, and like I said, I'm not just saying this, this is literally the first time I've talked about this. And this is one of those things that happened 10 years ago. And, and it was just a crazy, crazy deal. But once again, I, I feel blessed in the sense that I made it out and I was able to learn and, and I was able to once again, clear up my name and, and get other businesses up and going um, that were successful. You know, as, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, not that many people have experienced being sued for $65 million. No, it, I'm telling you, man, it, it was one of those things. And, and there's, there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of moving pieces to it. And we only have an hour today. But um, in a nutshell, it was, once again, going after people that, that have bigger money than I do and have better networks and know people. And so what we were doing is we were suing banks and we had about 1,400 lawsuits um, against all the banks. And so, you know, when you do that, you know, each, for each lawsuit, obviously they have to hire an attorney and it's not that big of a deal. They have money, but really at the end of the day, they're going, okay, these guys are starting to move the needle. And if they start to get all these, these precedents, we have a turn or judges that say, Hey, looks like there was some problems here. And they start showing that in legal records, then people can use that as a precedent for other cases. So what we were doing is we got on their radar and it was a situation where they said, Hey, we got to stop these guys. And then once again, a lot of politics behind that. And once again, I am not you know, I mean, the, the way that it happened and everything that happened, I, I, I don't have any bad feelings for people that sued me or the, the individuals and all that kind of stuff. I, I look at like life as a journey and everything happens for a reason. And I feel like that happened for a reason too, even though, you know, my outlook 10 years ago when it was happening, you know, I'm like, man, I built out this business. I mean, we were most, nobody knows this, but we were going to sell our business. We had a, uh, somebody that wanted to buy the business for right around, I think they want to buy it for about 25 million. So I was looking, I was months away from selling my business um, when this hit the fan and even the company that was going to buy it said, hey, that's fine. We've been sued by the attorney general as well. It's not a big deal. Well, the, the Trump to this whole thing or the, the checkmate was they, they froze my business accounts, business, my personal and my business. Um, and so at that point, they had stopped me 100%. So my business actually shut down because I had no way to pay my employees. So wow. yeah, it was a crazy, crazy little, and once again, you guys are literally hearing it first. I mean, it's, I'm, I've debated whether to write a book about it and stuff because it's a crazy story and it's not about me saying, oh, screw this person or these banks are bad or, you know, this is what it is. I look at it like, like, how did I make it through that? Right. And, and how did I was able to persevere in a situation where people are talking bad about me and my business? And I, I took that very personally because I'm a very passionate person. And I felt like I was doing good in helping people. Now, was I making money? Absolutely, right? But the, the thing is, making money isn't a, isn't a bad thing, right? So it just, once again, the learning lesson through that whole thing. And, and it's, I do look at it now and, and, you know, I go, wow, that's just crazy. Like I got sued for 65 million, went after this journey and I'm, and I'm going up against, you know, I, they shut down my money, which is a, a, obviously a, a way to be able to, you know, once they shut down your money, how do you pay for attorneys? But that whole story is crazy because, we would, we had, anyways, long story short, we actually had some, some um, things that we had filed for the, uh, for insurance to kind of cover us. And these are big 700 page documents that we had signed off on. One of my guys said, Hey, we really need this to cover us. If anything happens, I, you know, I remember even 700 pages of legal jargon on insurance stuff. Well, long story short, when they froze our accounts, everything got shut down. I mean, 
a few, my, a lot of my employees actually continue to work for me knowing they weren't going to get paid because they knew the passion behind what we were doing and we we're doing a good job. Um, but what happened was I, my attorney sent out messages to all of the um, individual or all the insurance plans. And they all said, Hey, you know what? We don't, sorry, there's nothing we can do. Like that's not under our, uh, under your plan. And of course I, you know, my attorney came back and said, Hey, the only way that you can prove this is that you have to sue them. And then they go and look at the paperwork and they say, okay, yep, we're sorry on line two on page 586, you are covered. But of course I don't have the money to go do that. And so my attorney came to me and says, Hey, like Shane, like brought me in and says, Hey, there's nothing else we can do. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, sorry about this, but there's, you know, you don't have any more money cause it's frozen. Like I, I can't. And I said, Hey, I totally get that really sucked for me. Right. I'm like, God, I had to go home to my, my wife and my son. And I'm thinking, God, how do I tell my wife that it's like, it's, it's over. Like I'm, I have no, nobody protect me now. And what happened the next day, which is a crazy story. My attorney called me up and said, Hey Shane, why don't you come on in? I want to talk to you. And I said, oh, okay. I said, you know, what do you got going on? And I actually was being, cause I'm a little bit of a smart aleck. I said, Oh, I said, but are we going to talk for free? Cause you know, I don't have any money being kind of funny. Right. And I'm like, ha ha. Cause everything's frozen. And he goes, no, come on in. And he comes and tells me a story. He goes, sit down. He goes, um, of those three insurance companies that we reach out to, um, we had one of them send me an email this morning. He wanted to apologize. And you have $3 million to fight the attorney general. Wow. I mean it. Yeah. Sorry. So that's, and that changed my life. But, and that was it. So now I had some money to go and fight, and show people that, that we were doing a good business and we won, we won in the end. So getting a little choked up a little bit, but it's just one of those things that like crazy, crazy, crazy deal. Well, and, and aside from all the details of, of the particular situation, just the, the enormity of it is what is striking to me. And I, I can't imagine being in that position. I mean, all of us who run businesses, we, we go through difficult times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everybody does. But, and I, I've talked to, I don't know, over, I don't know, 120, 125 people at this point on this podcast. Yeah. Um, that's probably, other than some, some folks who've talked about some life or death health things. Yeah. Um, pro- probably the biggest challenge I've heard. How, how, did you, how did you grapple with that? I mean, it's one thing to sit here now, 10 years removed and say, you know, I, I, I sort of had this Zen approach to everybody around me, but in the moment, I, I, I got to imagine that you were feeling some pressure and, um, and it, it had to be very difficult. Yeah. You know, it, it really was, I, and I dealt with it in a, in a very, in a, in a weird manner. And I don't mean weird, but it just, in a, it was like everything around me was on fire, but I was somewhat not okay with it, but I was still able to, to go through, like continue and persevere. Right. So it was a really weird deal because I'm literally there's, I mean, there was like local here in Sacramento, there was local news stations that six months earlier were talking about how I'm helping people and I'm, people are putting bad loans. We're freezing foreclosures. We're doing all this great stuff for people that we're taking advantage of. Cause if you can't pay your notes because it's adjusted and we find out you were putting a bad loan, like how are you going to pay an attorney? Right? This whole system's built on, you, you have to have a lot of money if you want to go get a great attorney. I mean, how are you going to sue somebody when you can't even pay your mortgage? So what we did is we made it affordable for people to be able to, to have a voice. And so that whole thing, like when, and then all of a sudden when the PR thing started to come out and they're like calling me a con artist and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it was hard. The, the thing that was hard for me was how it affected my family, right? My dad's president of the teachers association. My mom's been a nurse for 35 years. 
you know, my wife was a, you know, was a, worked as, she was a executive admin. Now she's a nurse, but she was executive admin for um, a very high up uh, CEO here locally. And so that's the hard part for me. Like I can take a punch, you know, and, and I'm okay with that. Like we can do that. But when it affects people around me, that's what was really difficult for me. And it affected me because, and my business, because I had 130 people that I had to lay off because they froze my accounts. So that really sucked because once again, for me, it's a very personal thing. Like I wanted to see, you know, I wanted these people, this is all around Christmas time. I don't want to let these people go. I, can't, I mean, you know, I've always promised them that I would always have a paycheck for them and they would always have an office and we really took care of our employees. And now I'm at a point where, I, I mean, they, they, they did a check me. There's nothing I can do. I can't, I don't have money in my personal account because they took it out and then out of my business account. So that was the hard part for me. That was the thing that for me, once again, I knew that I could handle it. Well, I was hoping that I could handle it, but I knew mentally it was going to be a journey. But what really sucked is when, you know, they're trying to pull my dad in or my dad's getting some calls. Hey, is that your son? That really sucked. But it's one of those things, man. It's, 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 I look at it now and I, I think, man, how did I, how did I make it through that? Like almost not unscathed because there was something every week that we were doing. I mean, it was a two year court case going up against the attorney general. Um, and so it was, it was grueling. I mean, it was, you know, constantly be pulled in and, and it's funny, my wife and my son, and they knew what was going on, but I kind of had to shelter them a little bit too, because I'm taking punches and I don't, you know, I can't come home, you know, my face all bloody, not really, but you know, come home and then be like, Hey, like I had to still kind of keep it, keep it moving. Like, Hey, no, how's everything going? Yeah, it's going good. You know, we've got some, this, that, and the other, but I, I kind of had to shield them from that. So I was taken on a brunt of that, obviously, because it was me and I had two other partners. Um, so that process is just like, it's nobody probably that's listening to this has ever gone through anything like that. And I hope they don't have to. Um, but for me, my journey, my personal journey, that was it. That was in my cards for whatever reason. Right. And, and for me now, because of that, I mean, that's when I talked about, you know, working with celebrities and stuff. I, I work with celebrities to help them with their online reputation management. That's because I had to do my own. (laughs) Right. I mean, I had Barbara Walters. I had all these people that were reaching out to me at the time when this happened. I mean, this was a big deal where they wanted to interview me. And, you know, Shane 1.0 would have said, hey, let's do an interview. But Shane 2.0 realized my attorney was like, do not do those interviews. Right. Because they're going to make you look bad. doesn't matter what you say. Like you're passionate about it. And for me, I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to hide. Like I want to talk to people. Like I want to tell people what happened. And, you know, you can't do that. And so I kind of had to like be quiet and not go after like what I wanted to go after. Like, and that's to protect my name. Right. Because that's the only thing you have at the end of the day. And so I wanted, if somebody's attacking me from whatever angle, I want to protect myself. And I want to say, Hey, listen, you said this, but let me show you this. Or, Hey, you think I'm taking advantage of people. Let me show you, you know, 200 people that haven't paid me for four months and we're still fighting their case. Let me show you like, you know, to show people, because for me, it wasn't the money that I was losing. It was the, it was my name. And it was the fact that somebody had, had done false claims. And so for me, that was very, very personal. And so that's, that was kind of my journey. And I went after that very heavily. I mean, I had people online that were talking bad about me that didn't even know me. And I would offline talk to them. And then I even went to lunch with a few of them, which my attorney probably, if he ever hears this, which he probably won't. But if he does, he probably is not going to be happy about that. But I went and met with people individually and brought them to lunch. I had two guys that said they were going to beat me up. They saw me. I said, it's perfect. Let's go to lunch. So we go to lunch and they're like, why did you reach out to me? And I said, well, because you're saying something about you see, you get the media, you're getting heavily involved in stuff, but you don't really know me as an individual. You think I'm a con artist because you saw something in, in the news, right? Which is that what they're looking to do is bring out drama. 
And I'm here to tell you this is the truth. This is what happened. And the funny part was that of the four people that I met with, two of them offered me jobs afterwards. Hey, what are you doing now? Do you need a job? I said, no. I said, I appreciate it. I'm just trying to repair our relationship or what you think is a relationship that we have. I want you to better understand me as an individual because I take that very personally when you say stuff about me, but you don't know me and you don't know the story, right? And I said, I just wanted to educate you on that. And they're like, hey, man, I'm so sorry. I'm going to take that stuff down. I just heard this and I'd heard that. And, you know, it, it is what it is. But once again, that journey was like just crazy, man. I mean, I learned so much and I feel like such a stronger individual because of that. And, you know, eventually I think I will turn it into a book or a movie or something like that because the story is, once again, we only have an hour today, but the story is crazy. Wow. Yeah. And just to, to kind of wrap this part of the interview up, the thing that just <laughs> strikes me about all of this is, and, and I, I see this has been the kind of the, the pattern of, of throughout this podcast when I talk to people, because we start off every interview, I, I want to know, you know, how, how have you gotten past some of the hurdles? And the thing that keeps coming up again and again and again, and I think you're such a good example of that. And I love the way that you handle, you know, dealing with those individuals is that to, to be an entrepreneur, to be a business owner, it means putting yourself out there personally. Yeah. And, you know, you see this a lot talked about online with people who are just getting into it and they have even on a low level, a lot of people struggle with putting themselves out there personally, just, you know, putting their opinions out there or their point of view or that kind of thing. I mean, on where it's not even a real threat to your, your livelihood, mm-hmm. um, but it escalates. And I've, you know, I've, I've, um, you know, had the, the honor of working with clients through some very difficult times and uh, have been through them myself in the past. And every time I hear this, I'm just struck by the, the courage that it takes when things are going badly to still stand up and say, yep, this is what I stand for. Yeah, it's a mess. It's my mess. I'm responsible for it just to to own it. And then to keep moving forward because the easy thing to do would be to crawl back in a hole. And so uh, that's just the thing that the thought that just kind of struck me listening to all that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, That's really powerful. Um, I I do want to take a quick break. I want to come back because I want to talk about influencer marketing and I know uh, folks listening want to hear about uh, what you're doing there. So we're, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a second with more from Shane. Hi, this is Steve. I hope you're enjoying this interview. We've got more to come in a minute, but what I'd love for you to do right now is rate this podcast. Leave us a review, rate us on iTunes. It'll really help others discover the podcast and help us help other CEOs, other business leaders become unstoppable. So if you go to unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes, you can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Gordon, and I'm talking with Shane Barker. And um, if you heard the first part of the interview, you know it was powerful. And I think I can probably guarantee that the second part is going to be just as powerful, but in a different way. We're going to talk about influencer marketing. Um, and uh, and Shane, if you know, if you're sitting down one-on-one with somebody who's listening today and they go influencer marketing, yeah, I've kind of heard of that, but I don't really understand what it is. How would you explain what it is? Yeah. So influencer marketing is really, um, if you have a product or service and it's working with influencers, somebody that has an audience or has a community that they've built and selling your products or service through them. And so 
historically people think of it as just like through Instagram or YouTube, but it really can be anybody that writes a blog. It can be anybody on any of the social platforms. It can be a reporter. It can be whatever it is. I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways to, once again, be able to have your product or service and be able to promote those through individuals that have some kind of a community or influence online. So um, for, for the business owners who are listening, where, where does this sort of fit? Like what types of businesses are a really good fit for this? Um, and, and if somebody was thinking about maybe just kind of approaching this and getting started, where would they, where would they begin with the process? Yeah. When influencer marketing, so really there's the cool part about influencer marketing is that there's a thousand different niches, right? And there's a thousand different ways that you can sell your product. So, you know, the typical play is like, Hey, if you sell, um, you know, if it's like a lifestyle thing on Instagram, that makes sense. If you have um, a demonstration type product is great for YouTube, right? So those are all some of the basic ones. Um, if you have apparel, then obviously you can, you can put that online and, you know, people can, you know, give it to influencers or you can work out some kind of campaign kind of strategy around that. But the, the cool part about, it, I mean, there's some that don't fit, like you have like maybe like insurance or sometimes financial planning, that kind of stuff is kind of not as sexy, right? When it comes to, to marketing it. But that's not to say that, that you, that there's not an angle there. And that's, what's interesting. Like, I'll give you an example. I, I did a keynote speech and this was in Mexico. I was um, one of the, well, it was the first influencer marketing uh, event out there and I was a keynote. But what was interesting is that one of the other guys that was presenting after me, his Instagram profile is all about things pink. Like the guy came out in a pink suit, pink shoes, pink everything. So now, I mean, so if you think about that, he markets anything pink and people love pink. And so he, he his clients were like, you know, lemonade companies. It was, you know, whatever, anything pink. And so when you think about that, you, there's just, you would never think that just because you have a pink product that there would be a, an influencer that specifically talks about pink stuff, but I'm here to tell you there is, right? And so that's where things can get interesting of where you go, okay, well, how can I kind of think outside the box? And then how do I go find these influencers that I think would be a good fit? And sometimes with insurance, some of this stuff, you can find that. The easier fits are, like I said, more lifestyle stuff. Um, but it's, Influencer marketing, the interesting part about it is it's no different than PPC, no different than SEO. It's a strategy. And, and, not, and just because you go and work with one influencer doesn't mean that it's going to work. Just because you pick one keyword doesn't mean you're going to be number one for that keyword. Just because you pick one target audience doesn't mean you're going to be number one on your campaign for PPC, right? The idea of it's a strategy. It's one of those things that you're using a side-by-side -side with everything else you're doing for your marketing mix. But it, it takes time and it takes effort. And guess what? The idea of this is you hire, let's say, 10 influencers one of them does an unboxing on YouTube. One of them does, you know, some, some posts on, on Instagram. And then you see who moved the needle. Right now I know that it's, hey, it's Jennifer that has this kind of a following that moved the needle. Now what I do is I go find more Jennifers on Instagram that have this type of an audience. And because we have kind of a winning funnel there, right? We can kind of see how, who was moving the needle. And so that's what influencer marketing is. Just because you try it with one person doesn't mean that it doesn't work. You have to find out where that perfect, what kind of influence you're looking for, what kind of audience they have, and then that's where you want to kind of put your money. So it's almost like if you were running ads on like maybe AdWords or Facebook or LinkedIn, and you would never start with one ad. That'd be, I mean, some people do. That's the fastest way to fail, right? You'd start with yeah. 10 ads or 20 ads and... And, and then get some information back, get some data back to see what's working and what's not. Um, and then kind of double down on what works. That it sounds like that's the same approach you take it's, here. It's exactly the same. And I, that the, the part that people miss though, is they just go and do it with one influencer. And most of the time it's an influencer that they think has a high followership. So they assume that things must be good if they have a lot of followers. 
and then they don't put a plan, they don't put a strategy together, they'll do a one post type deal, right, or two posts, whatever that is, and then they don't come have a brief together, they don't have an agreement in place, they don't know what kind of KPIs or key performance indicators they should be looking for, there's just not that communication. And that's the problem is you, just because you send somebody a product and they take a picture of it and put one picture on Instagram, we've, you've already missed that boat. Like that boat was six years ago that you could do that and just, you know, all of a sudden money would start coming in. It, now it needs to be a strategy. You need to talk with the influencer and say, hey, this is the kind of campaign I was thinking. I know what kind of content you produce. I love it. For this, we're willing to pay $5,000. And for that $5,000, what would you be willing to do? And the influencer should say, well, what I'm willing to do is I can do an unboxing you know, video and I can also do um, three Instagram posts. I can do two stories. And I'm also going to write a blog post that can be keyword driven around your specific title or a keyword or something like that. That's a strategy, right? It's not just posting one thing on Instagram. And I, you don't even know this, Steve, I haven't told you this, but I actually teach at UCLA. <laughs> so I have a personal branding and how to be an influencer course at UCLA that I teach. And that's what, he, that's what I train the students to do is like, hey, you want to be an influencer what you have to do is this is your personal brand, right? And how are you going to be able to build that out? And so it, you know, and if you are just, if, if, any, if anybody's listening to this and you're an influencer and you're just on Instagram, be nervous. If you're just on YouTube, be nervous. You have to have profiles. You have to have a website and your website should be where you have all of your stuff and all of your Instagram and all your YouTube and all that stuff should point to your website because Instagram and YouTube are always going to change your algorithms. Facebook will always change your algorithms. Things will always change there. And so you can't really complain about that, knowing that they're going to always change, right? So what you have to do is make sure that you have a website that you own. So as long as you're paying hosting, you own the domain name and you're putting content on there, you, you will always have that. Now you fight with Google from an SEO perspective. That's okay. That's a whole nother conversation for another podcast. But the idea is you should be pushing people to your website and then building out your email list and building those kind of things out. So if everything, if all your social media stuff went down, you still have your email list, you still have your website and there's other ways to monetize. So just good old fashioned, smart business, uh, own, own the asset. Own the asset. I mean, it really comes down to that. that the, if you're making a lot of money on Instagram right now, hold on to that money and put it away because they're going to change things. Instagram's always no different than Facebook and other platforms. They're looking at ways to monetize. And so they're like, there's obviously this black market of influencer marketing and all this stuff that's going on. Not really a black market, but I explained that as that because it's not on their platform. They're figuring out ways that they can kind of force you to, to do, you know, to work through them. They, they did it originally with Facebook, right? You used to have this crazy, you know, edge rank, which is their algorithm. Tons of people, you know, you get all kinds of engagement for your stuff. And then all of a sudden it started to taper down and you're like, God, I don't feel like anybody's seen my content anymore or as much. And then what happens is they go, well, hey, if you want to boost your content for $10, you can boost it. Well, guess what? They, you originally seen tons of people. Now you're not seeing that many people. Now they're trying to give you the keys to the castle to be able to get seen again. And it's going to, same thing's going to happen on Instagram. And it's, it's, and that's okay. That's not a, I mean, Facebook has to monetize. They've got, you know, they've got stakeholders and people that are going to be asking, how are we making money? So, and people don't like that, but that's a natural progression in this whole thing. And it's going to happen on all the platforms. The algorithm will constantly change. Sometimes it will favor you. Sometimes it won't, but you have to figure out once again, how you're going to kind of like diversify your, your revenue streams. Yeah, I, I can imagine. So, so you mentioned, you know, that sometimes people will, look for an influencer who's just, they've just got a pile of followers, you know, they think that's the answer. Is follower count the main metric to look at if you're trying to select an influencer to work with? No, it absolutely is not. It, it, it is one of the things you look at. The problem is most brands, 
they look at follower count. That's the number one thing they look at. And, and the reason why the fake follower thing became, you know, an ordeal is because they were paying people out according to your followership. So if you have $5,000, I'll give you a thousand bucks. If you have 10,000, I'll give you 2000. But if you have 250,000, I'll give you 20 grand. So guess what happens? I'm like, I've built my organic following for two years and I'm at 15,000. How do I get to, you know, 80,000 or a hundred thousand? Well, I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing, but I'm going to start adding some fake followers. I got to get up to that next number because I want to make 20 grand. Why would I only want to make a thousand or 2000? Right. So that was the problem. And I'm not blaming the brands and also influencers shouldn't do that. But brands need to quit looking at the numbers being the number one thing because we've actually seen higher, better success with micro influencers that don't have as many followers because they have a more engaged audience because engagement is this. If, if you're Kim Kardashian and you put something up and you get 10,000 comments, am I going to be able to respond to everybody? No, you can't physically do that. And she's not going to do that. So the problem with that is the engagement rates are lower, right? So if you have a micro influencer, let's say they have 50,000 followers and, and I get you know 50 comments, I can respond to those comments. And now that's engagement because people are like, wow, anytime Shane posts something and I, I say something, he responds back. That's really cool. Right now there's that engagement. There's, hey, Shane, I was wondering that suit that you wore the other day. Like, where did you get that? Hey, man, I got that at Nordstrom's. God, that's really awesome. Okay, cool, thanks. Hey, Shane, when is you going to be your next thing? Oh, I'm going to be doing this here and doing that there. It's like having that conversation, right? That's what you want. You want people that are engaging with their audience, not an influencer. And I'm not saying you can't use the big influencers. If you got big budgets, you're Coca-Cola, and you're just looking for eyeballs and brand mentions, great. Then you want to, you know, be some kind of a crazy PR piece because something happened with the influencer, they're drinking a Pepsi or something. Awesome. You got that budget. I mean, cool. Not saying that doesn't work for that, but if you're, you know, a medium size or small business, you're not, you don't have, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars to spend on that. So we have to figure out like, what are we looking, what are our goals, right? Is it to get sales? Is it to get brand mentions? Is it to be able to talk about that influencer and put them on your website? And as for social proof, is it to like, what is the goal? You really have to figure that out. If you go in and do anything, just influencer marketing, but anything, and you don't have a goal in mind, I mean, how do you know when you get there, right? That's what you have to kind of build this thing backwards. Yeah, I, to me, that would be the most critical thing to have up front because I see companies get into all kinds of marketing. And the, the big mistake in all of it is not deciding ahead of time how they're going to measure results. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and sometimes there's multiple ways to measure and, and oftentimes there's never a perfect way to measure, but you've got to decide up front. Otherwise you get into this thing and you may end up creating a strategy that has no hope of creating the result that you, you ultimately decide you want. And it's just, and once again, that's a, you would think that's a staple just through any marketing, anything you're using and influencer marketing is no different, but the issue is this. And so see, this is where things get interesting is we actually, obviously through my course that I teach at UCLA, I actually have a thing, you know, cause my big thing this year and moving forward is education. Cause I feel like the influencers are there, the brands are there, they don't know how to work together. So I actually, I just did a workshop in San Francisco about a month and a half ago. We had Amazon was there. We had um, purple.com. It's really, really big brands that were there. And I did, it was a full day training workshop. And so that was really awesome. And I'm also creating courses for influencers based off my UCLA uh, curriculum that we put together on like how to be an influencer, but less, I use the word influencer, but more of like your personal brand. Like how do you build this out, put a media kit together? How do you pitch brands? How do you, you know, once again, make sure you put your stuff out there so you're, you look like this is a viable business, right? And so a lot of influencers, they have influence and they have a followership, but they're not marketers, right? I don't know how, I don't know how to like get my personal brand to the next level. And most brands are like, 
I see these influencers and I, I see they're out there, but like, how do I negotiate a contract? Like, what do I put in the brief? Like, what can I, what do I tell them money wise? How much do I pay them? And this is all stuff that, like I said, I developed two different things. One is an, a workshop in person, or we have, you know, stuff that we do online, or the course will actually be an ongoing thing. We'll do a Slack group and have influencers in there and they can go in and ask questions and, you know, specific questions they have about brands and how to talk to them. And once again, I'm trying to get people educated so that they can, the campaigns will be have a lot higher likelihood of being successful. You know, um, it's, it's interesting listening to all this and you've, you've been talking about this in terms of, of brands. And I know we, we do have folks from some larger companies who listen, but we also have a lot of folks in small businesses who are listening to the podcast. And I'm wondering if, if maybe they're going to have a little trouble translating because I know that this approach applies to all sizes of businesses. It might look slightly different or it might use slight, slightly different terminology. So for folks in smaller businesses who are looking at this, um, thinking maybe just in my local area, how do I find someone who can fill that role? How would you advise somebody like that? Yeah. So if you are a smaller, medium sized business, the place where you need to start is if you have, you're on Instagram, you're on YouTube, wherever you are and you have some kind of followership there, look at your followership. Because you might have people that are influencers in your current, that are following you, that like your product or service, that you can reach out to, that you don't even need to pitch because they already know. They're always they're already following you. They maybe already like your products. Maybe look at their content. They're already promoting it, right? So that's the lowest hanging fruit. A lot of people don't think about that. Like you might have people currently that love what you do and you're not knowing it. And now you can go talk to those folks. Another thing you can do if you're a smaller size business, you don't need to have a million dollars to do influencer marketing. But what you do have to figure out is how do you do a value trade? And so what I mean is this, I'm reaching out to an influencer. They've got, let's say, 100,000 followers, phenomenal content, great videos, like everything about it, tons of engagement. You know, you can tell they're really, really got a great personal brand. And I say, hey, you know, I've got this, uh, this t-shirt. I want to offer you this t-shirt, um, this free $15 t-shirt. Um, and would you like, you know, I'm going to send it over to you and let me know what you'll do. And as an influencer, like, and they're like, okay, so if I have this $15 free dollar, this church t-shirt that's free to me, and for me to do a video, for me to do all this stuff, my video guy is $500 to, to film, $300 to edit it, right? So we're looking at this thing. It's going to be $1,000 to promote this, this free t-shirt. The influencer is not going to do it, right? Because that doesn't make sense. Why would I go and spend all money out of my pocket to promote your free t-shirt? Like, I appreciate you gave me the t-shirt, but there's just not a, that's not a right value trade. So what in those situations, if you're a smaller business, and all you have is the shirt, then what you can do is say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. I want to create some content with you. I have a video guy in, in, in town that we would use if we just took up two hours of your time or one hour. Hopefully, it's more expensive than a $15 shirt, but you get my point just for numbers. And what we'd be willing to do is give you $100 worth of shirts so you can pick eight shirts from our clothing line or 10 shirts, whatever. And we would have our videographer come out. We'll pay for all that. All it would take up is two hours of your time. And then you can use that content. And then also, if we, the content we create, is that cool if we use it on the website uh, for some testimonials? We're also going to do some PPC campaigns, um, right? So any kind of content's being produced there, is that okay? Which will also help promote you as well. Now an influencer is going, okay, cool. Now this cut down my cost. They're going to promote me as well through PPC. They're going to put me on their website. Like there's some, there's some value trade there, right? That's what you have to figure out is like what is going to make it so it's a win-win. If an influencer, you pitch an influencer and they say, hey, this isn't a good fit. The cool part about that is there's thousands, if not millions of other influencers. 
right? We can't put influencers all under one category that if you talk to Jennifer and she's a female and she's 26 and she's on YouTube and she said no, that Michelle who's 26 on YouTube that she's going to say no. Everybody's different. They have different audiences. They have different parameters. They have different pricing. They have different things. But what you need to do as a brand is go in and say, listen, hey, I'm bootstrapped. I don't have a million dollars, but this is what we're doing. And let me tell you why I think you are a perfect fit. I've already looked at your profile. Looks like you just had a kid. You just got married. Our demographic are moms that just had children. And what this is, is blah, 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 blah. This is why I think you would be a good fit. These are influencers we work with in the past. We've seen some great successes through our affiliate program. You get paid out 50%. Jennifer Smith over here actually did the campaign and she made $3,000 in a month. Let me know if you'd like more information on how to do this. There we go, yeah. right? That's it, yeah. Well, and it's funny because I find more, the, the more digital marketing I do, the, the more everything comes back to building relationships. That's it. In the real what, world. It is, and that's, you know, not to go in on AI and artificial intelligence, but a lot of people are worried about AI and, oh, what about this and that? Nothing's going to replace just human contact. Like the fact that, that, that I can sit belly to belly with somebody and have a conversation, that will never be replaced. And that really is what it is. You know, back in the day was how, many, how big my numbers are in followerships or influencers. And I said, you know what? Ignore all that. Forget all that because brands are going to quit pricing off of that here soon. What you need to look at is engagement. And really, I would much rather work with somebody that had a thousand heavily engaged audience than 100,000 that they're selling a new product and they're all over the place and there's no vision or there's nothing going on on the profile, right? Because nobody wants to follow an influencer that talks about the new shoes. Like, oh my God, last week it was Adidas, this week it's Nike, and the next week it's K-Swiss, right? Now I'm like, well, what do you like? Or are you just kind of like, you know, taking anything that people send to you, right? I would rather have somebody has a 1,000 followers that's heavily engaged. They obviously trust the influencer, there's some authenticity there, and I will explain why I think my brand is a good fit for them and why it's beneficial for them and, and lay out this plan, right? Because it's really about those relationships. You could talk to a thousand influencers, you can send out an email to a thousand influencers and offer them a free product. A thousand of them will take it, and if you don't have a plan in place, I know influencers that have boxes and boxes of stuff at their house that they haven't even opened yet because they don't have time. Because a brand just went ahead and said, hey, I'll send you some free product. They said, great, I'll take it. And then the brand didn't tell them what they wanted from it or talk about it. What's the next step? They're, just, they're hoping that they love the shirt and they talk about it. That's not, hope isn't a good marketing strategy. Like if you look up hope, hoping and praying are better for church, not for marketing. Just that's my little snippet for the day. Yeah. Yeah. It never works well. I don't care how you're doing your marketing. Hope never works well. No. Uh, well, this is fascinating. We could go on for hours with this, but I've already kept you longer than I promised I would. So um, can you tell everybody, Shane, where they can find out more about you and the, the work you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to my website. Um, it's shanebarker.com. That's S-H-A-N-E-B-A-R-K-E-R.com. Um, and then I'll give you my direct email too. So if you have any questions about you know influencer marketing, anything like that, is just Shane, S-H-A-N-E, at shanebarker.com. Um, and once again, usually give me about 24 hours. I get a, a few hundred emails a day. So, you know, if you're reaching out to me, please, any questions are open. If you want to learn more about the, the brand, if you're a brand that wants to learn how to do influencer marketing the right way, reach out and influencers. I'll have your course ready here in the next few months. Awesome. Well, Shane Barker, thanks for being here and uh, just learned a ton today. Thank you. Hey, not a problem, Steve. Thank you so much for having me.
This episode of the Unstoppable CEO podcast is sponsored by the Unstoppable Agency. That is the agency part of our business where we work with professional service firms and create a done-for-you marketing program. And what that looks like is we actually sit down with you. We come together and define your ideal client with you. We go build a list of those people, and then we begin reaching out to them on your behalf to book them as guests on your podcast. We call it podcast prospecting, and it's a fantastic way to connect with potential clients and influencers that can refer you, and it's end-to-end a done-for-you system. And so if that's something that you think might be the right fit for your business, go to our website, go to unstoppableceo.net. You can uh, find it there on the homepage a link to a video presentation that explains how it all works. And if you'd like, let's get together and have a quick 20-minute conversation and see if we're a fit. Again, that's at unstoppableceo.net. Right on the homepage, look for a link to the video that explains how it all works.